0: Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is
1: brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington DC area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Fury's and Rogue Darts.
0: And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I play with many of the Team D.C. sports member leagues, including the D.C. GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Terra Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club.
2: And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip Under the Bleachers.
0: Welcome everyone, Laura and Gabe here. It's October 12th, and you're listening to episode 17 of Under the Bleachers. This week, it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, we'll be discussing the never-ending war over LGBTQ rights. Our sports topic this week is the NBA finals. And for the intersection of sports and queer, we'll be discussing a big gay wrestling brunch. After that, we're going to share our interview with Team DC member club, DC Aquatics Club.
1: But first, it's time for a Team DC update. Team DC's Challenge Cup raffle is ongoing. Raffle tickets are on sale for a dollar each with a minimum purchase of 10, and the raffle prize is four lower level tickets to a mutually agreed upon future Washington Nationals game. The raffle ends this Saturday at 1 o'clock PM and tickets are available at teamdc.rallyup.com backslash Challenge Cup 2.
0: Laura and I will keep bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on your favorite podcast app, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend. Okay, let's get started. Here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip, Under the Bleachers.
1: My topic in the world of all things queer this week is the never-ending war over LGBTQ rights. The Supreme Court opened its new term this week and it was not great, Gabe. The justices returned from their summer break on a somber note following the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, hearing arguments by phone because of the coronavirus pandemic, and bracing for the possibility of post-election court challenges. The court paused briefly to remember Ginsburg, the second woman to ever be confirmed to the court, but then they got down to business. The court was reviewing petitions for certiorari. In short, every person that brings a lawsuit and doesn't like the result has a right to appeal to a higher court. Depending on where you bring the lawsuit in the first place, you might have more than one appeal available to you. Ultimately, the final chance anyone has to appeal a decision they don't like is to the Supreme Court of the United States. But if every person that didn't like any decision they ever got from a judge appealed to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court would not have time to consider the cases. So not everyone gets that chance. Instead, we have a system that allows people to apply for review. Filing a petition for certiary or cert as people call it for short is basically asking the Supreme Court to hear your case. The Supreme Court typically receives seven to 8,000 cert petitions every term and only grants about 80. In Most cases, the court does not grant cert. And in most cases, the court does not take the time to explain why. The first week of this term was a bit different. Kim Davis, you probably remember her. She was the homophobic court clerk from Kentucky that refused to give marriage licenses to gay couples, even after the Supreme Court had ruled that the Constitution did not allow the government to discriminate against LGBTQ people when they asked for marriage licenses. When the Supreme Court told her that she could not continue to deny gay people marriage licenses, Miss Davis decided to, to refuse marriage licenses to everybody that applied for them, and that didn't go very well because it was her job to issue marriage licenses. So eventually she filed a lawsuit. She was hoping that a court would grant her the right to be a bigot and grant marriage licenses only those people that she personally believed were entitled to them. The lawsuit made its way up through the courts and eventually Kim filed a cert petition. She asked the Supreme Court to hear her case. The Supreme Court last week refused to hear Kim Davis's appeal. In other words, the Supreme Court decided that her case was not important enough to be one of the ones that they would issue a decision on the merits. Maybe because the Supreme Court has already ruled that the Constitution doesn't allow you to discriminate against gay people when you're issuing marriage licenses. Obviously, that was the right decision. The Supreme Court already ruled that we all have a constitutional right to get married. Kim Davis is a bigot, and she is trying to break the law and look for a court to excuse it. Of course, the Supreme Court should not hear her case. They should deny it like every other frivolous case, and they did. But that wasn't the end of the story. Clarence Thomas decided he couldn't let things lie. He needed to put his opinion on the record. So Thomas wrote an opinion to voice his disagreement with the court's decision to not grant review, and he didn't hold back. He put all of his anti-LGBTQ on the record in case somebody missed it the first time around. Thomas wrote that the 5-4 majority in Obergefell, the case that confirmed the constitutional right to gay marriage, had, quote, read a right to same-sex marriage into the Constitution, quote, even though that right is found nowhere in the text. He also said that the decision, quote, enables courts and governments to brand religious adherents who believe that marriage is between one man and one woman as bigots. Thomas suggested that the court needs to revisit the Obergefell case and the issue because it has, quote, created a problem that only it can fix. Until then, he said, the case will continue to have, quote, ruinous consequences for religious liberty. So, Gabe, I'm curious how, um, how Thomas's decision made you feel and how, how worried are you about the future of LGBTQ rights these days?
0: Um, to be honest, pretty, pretty worried. This is going to be the start of something. And it's probably going to be a snowball effect of what's going to happen. I mean, it's kind of weird that two justices sitting on the Supreme Court right now basically are telling people, hey, um, here's some pointers. This case isn't good enough to overturn gay marriage. So why don't you come back with something new and something right. that might do it? And they will agree with it. And you got two votes at least. Of the well, and the
1: reality is right that they thought that her case was perfectly good enough. they wanted to hear the case and in other words, they're willing to hear it and under any circumstances they just need to yeah. get a couple, they just need to get a couple of their colleagues to agree with them, and they want the case to be just a little bit more persuasive so that they can get some of their some more colleagues to agree with them it's you know there's just I, I, it is um, always amazing to me how people cry about, you know, religious freedoms and saying, you're making, you're calling me a bigot. I'm really just religious. I'm like, fuck you, dude. Like, like your, your practice of religion has nothing to do with marriage licenses. Marriage licenses, it's a government fucking thing. And it's a contract. It has nothing to do with your religion.
0: So Nobody's trying to get gay married in your church, but well, I think it's it's also a part of like the uh, kind of like the American culture where it's I think is the U.S. the only country where someone who is a, a pastor or a minister can marry you because like you know other countries it's like you do the civil marriage and then you do the 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 religious marriage if you want it or you do the church marriage. Like I remember right. my cousin we're getting married in Mexico and I was a witness for the for the civil wedding or the boda civil. And it's literally, yeah, you're signing a contract before the state, like the judge is there, and it was nothing like today we bring together you know whoever it was like, no, sign here, sign here, sign here, sign here, all right, right. You have because witnesses? it's a freaking, it's a fucking business
1: transaction basically right exactly like, it's, it it's nothing to do with you're, religion you're
0: obligating yourself
1: to certain things, and i I understand that like um you know you could also have a religious ceremony to celebrate the you know, religious union, that's all fine and good. But what does that have to do with whether or not I can file my taxes as a joint couple or not?
0: <laughs> so, or visit your partner or your spouse in the hospital.
1: Yeah. And at the end of the day, I hate to break it to you, buddy, but you are a bigot. Like being a bigot because <laughs> your religion tells you to be one doesn't mean, doesn't mean you're not a bigot, right? Like, ah, it drives me nuts. I, But But I'm pretty worried. I'm really, I'm pretty worried about
0: the future of LGBTQ rights. Well, it's like the whole, um, you know, they're they're only focusing on basically evangelical Christians in this religious, you know, uh, you know, attack or whatever is going on. Because what if there's another religion that supports it? You know, are they going to support them, or you know, are they going to support other religions that are out there that don't agree with their ideas? You know, I always joke around about the. um,
1: People who um, talk about religious religion this way and tie it into politics, I think, assume that sort of the Anglo Christian is the only religion in the world that exists. So, yeah. <laughs> it's you know, it's just kind it's of like... the whole thing is crazy. Um, today is National Coming Out Day, so happy Coming Out Day, everyone who's coming out and who's wherever wherever in the journey you are today is your day to celebrate. Um, But we have to reflect and keep in mind that we are lucky to live in 2020 where LGBTQ rights have come so far and society has come so far. It's so much safer in most places for people to be living their authentic life than it was um, in the past. And there's a lot more support for the community, but it is, um, the, your rights can be taken away from you in an instant. I mean, the reality is that it shouldn't have taken a Supreme Court case to say that gay people have all the same rights as straight people, but it did. And, And the next court comes along, could decide it another way and could turn everything on its head. So... We need to always be vigilant about fighting for rights and also increasing visibility and promoting and supporting the community and being there for each other. And the, the, the reality is, no matter what the Supreme Court does, the community is always going to be there to support each other. And that's what's really the most important thing. But I, I'm not, I'm not, not worried. Let's leave it, let, let's put it that way.
0: No, yeah, like I, I totally agree. We're we're so lucky that we live in the United States, and we're not living in a country where if you're gay, you know, you it's can illegal? be killed. Right. Yeah, you're arrested or you're killed. <laughs> we talked about that before. Like, you know, those are the countries around the world where, like, yeah, you're holding hands with the, your your partner or you're kissing someone, and you can be killed.
1: It's a uh, it's we a real do shame. have
0: to be a little vigilant on. A, a little thing. I mean, this, this might be just a small little, you know, ripple in this big effect of something that might happen later on. We don't know. And we don't know with, you know, the new uh, Supreme Court confirmations, how that's going to affect us, you know, for generations, not just for a presidential term. This is decades.
1: Well, I mean, people forget, like, it's, it's crazy to me when you think about like Brown versus Board of Education, right? So to me, I'm four, I'm four, I'm in my four, today's my birthday. I just turned 43. 43 today Yay! and I it is unfathomable to me the idea that segregation was like just a decade like just a generation ago you know I mean it feels like yeah. that could be so far in the past but that case was what 1954 that was not that long ago so you know, people are and, still
0: alive that remember that
1: right I mean the, like <laughs> the some like Ruby Bridges right she's still alive she was one of the little girls who integrated school is like one of those famous pictures she was the little girl that integrated a school and she's alive she's not she's not even that old she's like I think younger than my parents
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's
1: it's crazy yeah I and you know it it, it's rough it's hard to talk about a lot of things it's tough to talk about you know this almost in the abstract but you're like it's your humanity and they're just nine people in robes get to decide whether or not you're an equal human to others and that is just such a horrifying um you know thing to be to feel when especially when you know if you look at the the judgment the people who are selecting those judges like we're gonna have three people out of nine be appointed by Donald Trump And that's who's going to be in charge of deciding whether or not I have equal civil rights to other people. No, thank you.
0: (laughs) Well, even all the um, federal judges that he's appointed and how that's going to affect us like that for years. Yeah, no, it's absolutely terrible.
1: I definitely is the most, the biggest damage that he has managed to do is the lifetime appointments to the courts. And they're all so young. He appointed a bunch of 34 year olds to lifetime positions. It is scary um That's insane. but anyway uh well so it's no surprise to anyone or it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that Cl- clarence thomas has these beliefs and that he's going to keep writing these opinions we just have to hope that people like john roberts who believe in the idea of precedent is going to respect the precedent enough um to get us through these next few years until we can get a couple more progressive thinkers on the court
0: that's true. And I mean, we just need to keep an eye on it and make sure people still have these conversations about how it affects them, especially right, those who right. are married. And yeah. just let people know that, hey, you're affecting, you know, talk to your families, let them know that, hey, you're affecting my family, my rights, you know, my life. That's right. You may and think and about, they, I know, I bother you, but it is.
1: Yeah. And talk to your Republican family members and tell them, like, look at the damage that's being done to my civil liberties. Don't, Don't say you love me and then vote for somebody who wants to take away my rights. (laughs) Do what you can. (laughs) That's all you can do. Everybody. Let's just all keep doing what we can. It's three weeks till the election guys. Woo. Crazy. (laughs) All right. So let's talk a little bit about sports.
0: My
1: (laughs) My sports topic this week is the NBA finals. So in a surprise to exactly nobody, LeBron James and the LA Lakers won the NBA title this weekend, and LeBron was named the NBA Finals MVP. LeBron James has played more playoff games than anybody in NBA history, and he has been to 10 finals, which is more than any active player. The Lakers beat the Miami Heat in six games, and the LA Lakers were crowned NBA champions for the 17th time. The longest NBA season in history is over, and the bubble is officially closed. So Gabe, I want to know what what is your take on LeBron James? Is he the greatest of all time?
0: Uh no. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Correct. No. I didn't even I, honestly I mean, like LeBron
1: James is easily the best player playing basketball right now.
0: Yeah, right now.
1: But the quality of the NBA right now compared to like what it was like when I was like in high school and college when it was the era of Dennis Rodman. The Michael Jordan era? It was Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen, Charles Pippen. Barkley. Yeah. Magic Johnson retired when I was going into my freshman year of high school I think so like growing up I had Magic Johnson for a while. Um, David Robinson, Karl Malone. I mean come on and now I, you know I don't know it's like You've got two teams that are winning, winning the championship. I mean, every year for the what six years in a row. It's just a soft NBA. So how can you possibly say that yeah. anybody coming out of this era is going to be the greatest of all time? Also, well, for I, me, like I was not a Bulls fan in the '90s. I was a '76 ers fan because I was personally obsessed with Charles Barkley. But I, <laughs> I don't know how anybody can deny that Michael Jordan is the greatest. Of all time. It, it seems to me such an obvious open and shut case that I don't even know why people hate this.
0: I mean, he saved us with the, you know, the Looney Tunes. He saved Earth. Like, come on. What has LeBron done?
1: I believe I can fly.
0: (laughs) We can't sing that anymore.
1: (laughs) Oh. Well, congratulations Um, to LeBron and the LA Lakers. Um, Congratulations to all of the players who made it out of the bubble safe and not sick. (laughs) Um, I mean, I'll give them props for that.
0: You know,
1: (laughs) what I don't understand is going to be so weird because, like, doesn't the NBA season usually start like around now? (laughs) Like, what are they going to do for next year? (laughs) It's going
0: to be yeah, because they should be they should be playing around. Yeah. I feel like October's October when is like preseason NBA, yeah. right? Like
1: weird. Preseason go starts off? and then,
0: yeah, okay. preseason starts and then they start actually playing the games. Um, I'm still a diehard Spurs fan. So when the Spurs are knocked out, I could give, you know, care less about the <laughs> NBA. <laughs> all
1: right, all right. Fair but we're enough. still
0: rebuilding. We had the top three and, you know, they're, they're gone. They all retired. So now we're just, you know, slowly rebuilding every year.
1: It's, it's been Let's a rebuilding.
0: It's been a rebuilding decade for the New York Knicks. I mean, the only news that is coming out of Texas today was that Dak Prescott, that his uh, ankle was
3: uh, destroyed. Yeah, and everyone
0: is just pissed. Like, (laughs) I was looking at my Facebook and and everyone was like, I refuse
1: to look at the pictures. It sounds gruesome. (laughs) Oh, Oh, guy. well,
0: you know, I, you know what? Best wishes, Dak. Hopefully, you get better.
1: (laughs) I, I honestly, the Dallas Cowboys are up there with my least favorite sports franchises. So I have a hard time, <laughs> with but I, but I always, um, when somebody as talented as Dak Prescott gets an injury like that, Oh, it is gut wrenching. I, you know, but I hope that he has a full recovery and goes to play for a different team. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So moving on my topic this week at the intersection of sports and queer, let's talk about gay wrestling. So, I didn't know that there was a gay movement in professional wrestling, but I recently learned that there is. One of the loudest voices at the forefront of the LGBTQ pro wrestling revolution belongs to Effie, a wrestler who is equal parts flamboyant and endearing. The Atlanta-based wrestler isn't afraid to speak truth to the wrestling powers pushing for cultural evolution within the industry. Part of that evolution is expanding LGBTQ visibility through creating more spots for LGBTQ talent in promotions and pushing promoters to view LGBTQ wrestlers as more than special attractions. Effie has now taken on the role of promoter himself and is turning his message into action. This weekend, he hosted his Big Gay Brunch, a showcase for LGBTQ pro wrestling. Effie's Big Gay Brunch was originally scheduled to bring its brand of unapologetically queer pro wrestling and atmosphere to audiences during Wrestlemania weekend in Tampa, Florida back in April. The events were canceled because of COVID, but this weekend he aired his Big Gay Brunch and it was something. So Gabe, (laughs) did you tune in to Effie's Big Gay Brunch and what did you think?
0: I did. I got to see it with some of my, my friends and we were like, what are we watching? First off, I haven't seen a pro wrestling match since I was a kid, probably because I had some friends who were like really into wrestling. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I was like, okay, I remember this kind of, but yeah, it was.
1: Yeah, it was, I it was kind I of legit- fun actually. It
0: was a lot. It was really interesting.
1: I mean, I think that the last time I saw pro wrestling, it was legitimately the 1980s. Like I, it was like <laughs> Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage was what is like what I remember from my childhood. I did not know that wrestling was still like a big deal, but apparently it is a huge. Oh, it's huge. With a they always following. do something big
0: at the Capitol or yeah. Capital one center. I was like the, the Verizon center, the MCI, center, the capital whatever. one center, yeah. uh, whatever it is. Yeah. Cause I work around there and they always do like a big WrestleMania thing and they close off all the streets. I'm like wrestling still a thing, but yeah, it is it's still a thing. Apparently.
1: And apparently now we have queer wrestling. So I, you know, listen, here's my take though wrestling is like a soap opera right and it yeah. is oh, yeah. There's back stories. and show and showmanship if anybody can do this right it should be the gays <laughs> right that's is not just me i mean oh right? no right but what did you were you underwhelmed overwhelmed what did you feel about the uh the showmanship of the big day wrestling this weekend <laughs>
0: I mean, I was I was really proud about all the different representation they had. I mean, they had trans wrestlers, gay wrestlers, lesbian wrestlers. They had the whole gambit, you know, all the. They had uh, an Amish wrestler. The Amish wrestler. I mean, did you, <laughs> what? Did you see? Did you see the uh, Twink Gauntlet? Yeah, that was honestly where I had to walk away after. <laughs> right, what, the, I
1: was like, what? Twink Gauntlet. Okay. The, also, the second
0: was, annual Twink Gauntlet. <laughs>
1: Also, those twinks were the biggest twinks I've ever seen. I don't know. And I think one of the um one of the commentators said, Oh, well, in wrestling we go by truck stop standards. So a truck stop twink is different than a twink twink. <laughs> Just like what is happening right now? Uh, I thought it was pretty great. I wish the costumes were better. I wanted That's to see true. more, I wanted to see more loud colors, more rainbows, more sp-
0: sparkling things i mean uh, i i was fangirling when cassandro came out i don't know if you know yeah he's a I big love, uh, lucha libre I star from mexico <laughs> <laughs> i learned it, you, a lot go to youtube and just look up cassandro <laughs> okay i mean he got a standing ovation people were all excited i'm like oh okay but yeah but he came out with like this like giant pink coat thing <laughs> and like <laughs> did a victory lap around the ring before he went in. I was like, okay, there you go. There's some chauvinship.
1: Yeah, the commentators were right? pretty cool. I thought like they were straight guys and they were really good about using correct pronouns. They like had a lot of great messaging about inclusivity and being excited about broadening audiences and things like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. I appreciated, because we all know, right, that it's pretty much scripted. So they, somebody who scripted this weekend decided who was going to win these matches. And I really liked that the first match of the day featured two women wrestling against two men, and, they, and the women won. So I think that was a pretty good way to start off the day for for big gay wrestling brunch. I was confused why I didn't see more people drinking mimosas in the stands. Like, if you're going to call it a gay (laughs) brunch, I feel like there needs to be mimosas. But all in all, I found it entertaining.
0: Yeah, it was very entertaining. And, you know, again, wrestling's not really my thing, but hey, if you're a, a young kid who is probably questioning himself or herself and wants to come out later on, it's great to see that If you love wrestling, you have a gay outlet and you can celebrate that and watch something that's cool like that.
1: That's right. We have to have inclusivity everywhere. Little kids, little boys, girls, little non-binaries, they need to be able to see themselves represented in all different ways and in all different parts of life. So hooray for the gay, big gay wrestling brunch. (laughs) (laughs) I will continue to support the uh, Effie and his
0: efforts any chance I get. Yes, we just need more glitter and rhinestones.
1: Yeah, I'm really, I'm not, I know that you wanted more rhinestones. I really think that would be a choking hazard.
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> Have you not seen showgirls? You just throw them and then they all fall.
1: But like, if you're doing an athletic endeavor and you're grappling with each other, I uh, that would scare me. I think though more glitter on your pants would be great.
0: I I totally agree. Like, have you ever seen Lucha Libre or seen those costumes?
1: Um, That's the
0: gayest thing I've ever seen.
1: (laughs) I mean, that's the thing that they made that Nacho Libre movie about, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like but like the you know, the mask and all that. Like
1: you need yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: that's what you need. I need I need more shiny LeMay and
1: For sure. Also like wrestling is the perfect excuse to put on a cape so exactly yeah more more of that i also think you know this year's event was a little bit smaller than it was intended to be because of covid they only sold you know like a quarter of the seats they moved it to a smaller venue you know next year hopefully we get past this pandemic and they can bring back all the fanfare and have a big show that'll involve like pyrotechnics and rainbows everywhere
0: and more twinks
1: and more Twinks and don't make <laughs> me run <win> the gauntlet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Gabe, as always, I appreciated our chat. Um, it's always good to catch up with you and to see what's going on in the world of sports and queer.
0: That's true. And hopefully we have more uplifting stories next week. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> That's this week's Under the just Roundup of Things Queer, Things Sports, and Things at the Intersection of Sports and Queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share our interview with Team DC member club, DC Aquatics Club.
1: Okay, so welcome. We are joined today by Fred Dever and Eric Grasha from the DC Aquatics Club. Um, Thanks for joining us, guys. Would you um, each like to sort of introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what your position is with DCAC?
3: Okay. Hey my name is Fred Dever. I'm actually also the fundraising chair uh on the board with Eric um
4: with DCAC. And my name is Eric Crosser. Right. I I am the publicity chair for DCAC.
1: So they they sent us a money guy and and an an attention whore. <laughs>
4: That's what it's <laughs> called.
1: So, just to kick things off, for anybody who's listening that maybe doesn't know, can you tell us what DCAC is, what sport you guys are involved in, and just your sort of basics on your organization?
4: I'll let Fred answer. (laughs) Sure.
3: Um, DCAC's been around for over 30 years, and we are probably about almost 200 members strong, uh, we are a primarily gay and lesbian uh, master swim team. However, we compete in both the what's called the International Gay and Lesbian Aquatics League, where there is a championship, as well as we uh, compete under the U.S. Masters uh, Swimming Association, So, which is a broader scope of things. So we're in and out, and actually just... And FYI, the team is super, you know, competitive um, globally uh, and nationally. We have uh, a, a wide span of folks that go from beginners, but all the way up to all Americans. So we we uh, we kind of cover the gamut there.
1: Very cool. Um, just uh, just to break it down for those of us who might not know that much about swim team. Um I assume you guys swim all the events we would be used to seeing like if we watch the Olympics, so you got the butterfly, the backstroke, and all that good stuff?
4: That's correct. There we do any of those strokes that you see in the Olympics, so butterfly, backstroke, breaststroke, and freestyle, and we do pretty much any distance from a 50 to up to a 1650, so Two laps up to sixty-six laps, depending on the meet and the races involved.
1: That sounds pretty. Uh, it sounds pretty intense. And I know you mentioned being competitive. Um, do you also have just social swimmers in your organization?
2: Yeah,
3: we do. Um, I think that's one of the things that's, that's super appealing is that we've had people that have joined our organization that we're really never competitive swimmers or don't intend to be, but um, they really love the camaraderie of the team. And many of them I think have you know improved immensely. We also have people that, like I said before, a good solid core of the team is very competitive, but we hold, um, I think one of the, the things that's attractive about our organization is that it is like a family and, you know, we have so many good events uh, throughout the year, and we're just a really good, tight organization that even if you leave D.C., people still comment and say it was like the best team. in an, it, Whether whether they're gay or not, which our team is primi- primarily gay, but we have folks that join it just because um, they just like the variety of folks that are there.
2: Um. <laughs> Uh, so uh, you said you have about maybe, what, 200 people that are part of the organization. How do you all practice or where do you all you know get ready for these competitions at these meets?
4: So we are primarily practice at uh, D.C. Public Pools. Uh, our current locations are Dunbar High School, which has... Has a 25 yard pool that was built probably five or six years ago. Uh, Wilson Aquatic Center, uh, which is a beautiful facility, probably the nicest facility in the uh, district. Um, Tacoma Aquatic Center. And then uh, we also swim at Deanwood Aquatic or Recreation Facility and also Berry Farm. Uh, recreation facility and pool. So usually we have, I think that was five, five swimming pools and um, we have worked out sort of a partnership with the city that Fred can probably describe better than I can. So I will let him try to describe how that works and how we are a, uh, we're able to practice at those facilities.
3: Yeah. So, I mean, Eric mentioned it is pretty exciting as my role as a fundraising person. I've been in and out of that for years on the board. I should have a pension for crying out loud. But um, one of the ideas was uh, because it is expensive to rent pools from the district and we've been doing it for 25 years um, until last year. Um, And we actually were able to. Per, to ink a partnership with the city. So we're actually the official District of Columbia Masters Swimming Program. Um, and we're super excited about that. What that means is that the district in turn uh, gets a new program that they don't have to set up with coaching, um, et cetera. And um, the taxpayers uh, also get um, a new program too as well that they, they can go to. And in turn, what we get is we get pool fees that are reduced and waived. So um, this is why um, we're able to like flourish. This is our first year in the partnership. So um, of course, you know, we're excited about it and we, we hope that it's, it's longevity, you know, outlasts us all. But um, it's a super um, great thing for the district health and fitness, uh, our program, because financially it really helps us out a great deal. As you can imagine, renting a pool, you know, six lanes or taking over a whole pool with the amount of people that we have with six practices uh, a week can be um, expensive.
1: Yeah, I imagine. And it's, I'm glad to hear that the city has been um, supportive of you guys. I mean, yeah. you mentioned, you know, obviously Team DC is, um, your uh, DCAC is a member club of Team DC and we are a nonprofit that focuses on the LGBT community. And you did mention before that your team or your organization is primarily LGBT focused, but I just wanted to talk a little bit more about sort of the breakdown of the people who are your members. Um, Mm -hmm. Can one of you talk a little bit about sort of, I think you said you had a couple hundred members. How many of those people are sort of, you know, competitive versus social, how many of those people are men versus women, how many identify as LGBT and how many don't, sort of some information like that.
3: Sure. Eric, do you want to take that
4: one? Um, So I guess the breakdown between straight versus LGBT, um, I'd say maybe... 10 to 15 percent straight, the rest uh, LGBT. Um, and then, as far as men versus women, the team has far more male swimmers than women swimmers. I'd say 70 percent men, 30 percent women. Um, and
1: that sounds about uh, the same breakdown for all uh, LGBT events in the District of Columbia. Just for the record.
4: That's good Um, to know. (laughs) Yeah, we try to we try to bring people in, but uh, it's hard to retain people sometimes. (laughs) No, that's right. That's Um, fair. I would I would say it's split maybe half and half. Uh, I think we have a core group of people that like to go to swim meets, and it's usually between the same maybe. 30 to 50 people, and then, oh, I guess maybe a little bit more, and then the rest, I would say probably just like to either come for socializing or to just get a workout. They enjoy swimming and they want to uh, have a coach swim practice that they like to come to. I think, I think Eric,
3: you're spot on with the numbers. Um, I think the one thing I would mention is that we do get a lot of triathletes that kind of come in and out. They might not be as competitive swimmers, but they want to, they want to swim with us. I do want to highlight one thing that, you know, our team is actually um, one of the most competitive swim programs, U.S. Masters swim programs in the world. Um, And I know that sounds a little bit flippant, but it's something to be proud of because we are predominantly gay swim team. Uh, we, we go to uh, master's nationals, which is not, you know, a gay event, but um, we have a number of people that um, uh, are, you know, national record holders. In fact, many of our relays um, are nationally ranked in the top 10. And this is for, the entire United States, um, which is pretty impressive. And um, and then in the gay league, um, which is an international gay league, you know, we're predominantly at one of the top teams. And we just got back from Australia uh, where we got fourth place, but you can imagine we went to Australia, which is a long trip. You can't bring a huge team. And the only teams that beat us were uh, three, three, teams from Australia. (laughs) So we were the only team out of Australia to place in the, you know, we were the highest placed team. So it's a, it's really kind of fantastic organization um, in that. But um, yeah, Eric was spot on with the numbers.
2: Um, How important is it to y'all that you're competing at these, you know, uh, international and national uh, championships and you're participating uh, in a LGBT inclusive team.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I'd say, I mean, for anybody that's competing in sports, look, we've all been there. Where um, I can, I can speak for myself. I, sh- I shouldn't say we all have been there, but I think being gay and a lesbian or uh, what have you uh, just um, you know, it mars you a little bit, especially in athletics. And that's why I think it's such such an important thing to um, have these gay sports leagues for me. And I, I probably would say the same for Eric, you know, we both swam in college and we weren't branded, Hey, there's the gay guy in college, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was a different time, but I, it does make me proud when I look at the accomplishments, especially, and especially with what I just mentioned, you know, we have folks that come from college programs and Excel and together mm-hmm. as a team, you know, we have all Americans that are, um, in any, uh, U S masters meet we're placing in the top, uh, positions and breaking mm-hmm. records. And it's just, it's amazing. And I, I'll tell a sto- a short story. Uh, I'm telling you this because this is outside of swimming, you know, even a group of us, we've gotten together and, you know, we've, we've, run, like the Ragnar relay. And there were six of us that were all gay, and we we're all swimmers to a certain extent, and we won the first Ragnar relay. And the why that sticks in my head is that I just think about all gay and lesbian folks that, you know, participate wherever they may be. And it's just such an, I think it's really cool to see that, you know, we're, we're beating folks that, you know, are... That, that our stereotype may not dictate that we should be doing that, and I, I don't know how Eric feels about that, but I I I am honored to be on like a team of folks like that that push each other and that um, still have a common bond that um, that we are gay <laughs> and lesbian.
1: Well, I wanted to I wanted to sort of follow up on the you mentioned the Ragnar. Are there um, outside of the pool social events that DCAC regularly hosts, or things that um, the organization as a whole does outside of the pool, whether it be social events or maybe community organization events or anything like that? You'd like to tell us about?
3: There's a, there's, there's a number of them. Everything from you know. We, of course, have scholarships for our program so that younger swimmers can attend some of these meets because they're far away and they're expensive sometimes. Um, I would I would say it runs the gamut, everything from uh, when we're at a meet, you know, we, we generally always have like a team dinner um, to, uh, you know, so monthly happy hours at bars Um event campouts, uh, um, you know, getting together, groups also get together to go to a game or or whatever it is. And certainly D, um, Team DC does a lot of things too that we want to participate in too as well. Um, the concession stand thing I think was one of my favorite. It's a lot of fun and I think... of the sporting events there but in general i just found that it's our the swim team and i think eric would concur i mean it's almost like having a group of brothers and sisters it's really that tight um i mean we make fun of each other but yet um everybody cares about each other and knows about each other and i think it is through not just the swimming competition but you know every saturday going to brunch together and everybody's welcome Uh, I don't know. Um,
4: Am I missing anything, Eric? (laughs) I think that pretty much covered it. Uh, I mean, I guess for the most recent fundraiser we had, I didn't attend it, but it sounded like it was a good time. People were selling jello shots at pictures uh, to raise money for uh, scholarship people to go to Australia. So um, I think, and I guess that entailed men and women dressing either in speedos or bikinis walking around pitchers selling uh, jello shots and i think we raised a pretty good amount of money through that so i know people had fun doing it and uh, it the community definitely supported us the pitchers community at least
2: yeah that's always fun you know when you get your team together in speedos and stuff to sell jello shots you know Uh, Do y'all have any um, interesting stories or anything, um, I I don't know, fun, kind of embarrassing? Hopefully, you know, we'll keep it PG. Uh, But something about, like, that's happened when y'all go to Igla, when y'all went to Australia, or you're going to, uh, you know, different tournaments and stuff, or even just at practice. I
3: I think our team is, like, uh, would be a great reality television show, personally. Uh, um, There's always something that happens, everything from... I don't know, Uh, Eric, when we were in Toronto and you spent four days or three days in Toronto (laughs) without suitcase because plane problems to, I don't know, anything funny. I'm trying to think now I've got a block, but there's always something. I guess I I didn't want to, I also wanted to make mention of our open water swimming race that we sponsor every year, Swim for Life which is we've been doing that for like 25 years out on the Eastern shore raises money for HIV AIDS and it's one to five mile swim. It's a great weekend. Our team has been sponsoring it and that's like a huge social event in itself. Um, afterwards, we go to Rehoboth beach and usually have a fundraiser there. So last year it was at Aqua it was very successful and the entire event is just a lot of fun. everybody, Really enjoys doing it, um, so that's like something else that we commonly bond over.
2: I was going to say, how was traveling internationally for a tournament without luggage? Like, was that a make it work moment? Did you do a drag challenge and run out and try to find you know something to wear or you know swimwear or anything?
4: Uh, so it was on the way back. It was after the competition. I was <laughs> I was with Fred, his partner Eric, and my partner Jason, and we were all supposed to get on this flight to uh, DC in Toronto. And our flight into Toronto was late, and then we missed our <laughs> our flight. Um, <laughs> And then it just happened that we ran into another teammate who was also we were rebooked and we ran into a teammate who was on a rebooked flight, but they had double booked uh, us. Um, So I gave up my seat thinking I could fly back the next day. (laughs) It turned out (laughs) that there were all sorts of weather issues (laughs) the, the next two days. So I spent two days at Toronto Airport, or three days in Toronto Airport, basically.
1: <laughs> I'll tell you, as a former uh, rugby player, missing flights is no, um, I'm not a stranger to that, nor are my former teammates. Uh, there were a lot of flights missed in our uh, in our tournament travel days as well. And in fact, definitely more than one airport that I now know has a drunk tank in it because of some of my... Some of my teammates missing flights and airports, and ending <laughs> up spending too much time at a bar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I um, I really appreciate that you guys took the time to talk to us today. We, um, you know, it's a it's a pleasure to hear a little bit more about DCAC and what you guys do. Um, before we let you go, I just wanted to ask. If anybody listening wants to learn more about DCAC or if they want to come watch you swim, or maybe are interested in joining, where should they go or where can they find more information about you guys?
4: Um, So We have a a webpage, uh, swimdcac.org, or they can contact us via email. Uh, Probably the best person would be, uh, treasurer at swim Uh those are probably the two best places to find us and also they can search google for dcac or gay dc swimming and we should pop up
1: all right i always like to encourage people to just google anything they're interested in and add the word gay because you should usually find something pretty great <laughs> uh-
4: I agree. I agree. All right.
1: Well, thanks again for joining us. Um, we look forward to maybe having you guys back to talk to us again.
3: Thanks, Laura and Gabe. Yes, and uh, thank you. All
1: right. Take care.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org.
1: We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com, and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers.
0: Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Frayer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the
2: participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.